You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be at. We're continuing our series uh, out of our theme for the new year entitled Launch Out. We've been taking a look over the last several weeks at Luke chapter number 5. If you're missing the message so far in the series, you can always get caught up on our website at huikala.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or the podcast app on your phone. In addition to that, we also have a smartphone app uh, for your phone or your tablet uh, that you can download and stay caught up that way. You can uh, listen to the podcast uh, from that uh, as well. And so main thing, stay on top of these. I know these messages will help you to continue to grow in your faith. Uh, The idea of launching out is the idea that we would live a life of faith that would honor and please the Lord uh, this year and that we would take our our faith one step further than we are currently now. Uh, That's the idea behind launching out. Uh, Before we jump into the message this morning, I do want to talk to our church family for just a moment about something really important coming up in the month of March. We're having our launch out special building offering. Uh, What we're doing is we're making a special emphasis to begin, kind of restart our building fund that we have for our church family. Uh, right now, we currently lease this facility. We have a, a we basically rent it. Uh, we have a 10-year lease that we have signed on it that we're about uh, two years into, so we got about another eight years in this spot. But uh, I talked to their landlord, and he says at some point he's gonna wanna sell this building, and he's given me his word that it, when it comes time to sell this building, that he'll give us the first opportunity to purchase it. Man, I can't think of anything greater that would be for our church to have a, a home that's ours that we could call our own, uh, that's 7,000 square feet right in the middle of town, right uh, out by Alamoana Center, and so... Uh, continue to pray with us that God would provide for us in his time uh, if this is where we're supposed to be and this is what he has for us. But we're gonna begin preparing by faith. This is our launch out opportunity as a church family uh, to begin a building fund. Basically, all the monies that go into this building fund will stay there untouched uh, until it comes time for us to purchase a property. And so uh, if that's here, if it's somewhere else or something like that, we wanna be prepared for that. And so we want to begin a building fund. And so that's gonna be on top of your regular tithes and offerings. For Angela and I, uh, we give our regular tithes and offerings every week. We give money towards missions every week uh, to help missionaries as they start churches around the world. And on top of that, we give to, to our building fund. Uh, we had given to a building fund uh, to get into here initially when we moved into this auditorium. We basically kind of zeroed that out to, uh, to take care of all the, the uh, need that we had and the, the uh, uh, expenses of moving into our new auditorium space. And so we're basically restarting our building fund and building that back up. So we have a special offering coming up on March 10th. I challenge you with this. If you call Hui Kala your church home, I would encourage you to give something that day. I believe we should have 100% participation, everyone giving towards that uh, that calls who we call their church home. Uh, if this is not your church home, uh, please don't feel obligated to give. Uh, I believe all of us should do something by faith. And then at, on that day of March 10th, we're gonna have the opportunity to make a one-year commitment uh, of giving either weekly or monthly or uh, once every six months or something along those lines, maybe once a quarter that you wanna give, uh, that we can say, hey, I'm gonna try to hit this target uh, over the next 12 months. And so I believe if we do that, that uh, God would bless our work and God would bless our faith uh, and that God would provide for us in a way that we can't even possibly fathom. So I want to encourage you, put that on your calendar. Uh, again, this is our church is a, a church where we give because we love the Lord out of a heart of worship. There's not going to be any guilt trip. We're not going to ask all the people to stand up who, who gave and ask all the people to sit down that didn't give or anything like that. The idea is this. You laugh. There are churches like that. Did you know that? If you didn't give this morning, you need to stand up. It's just like, what on earth? 
You laugh, but there are churches like that. That's why I, I, I say all of this that I'm saying. The idea is this. I love the Lord. I hope you love the Lord. And we just want to give because we believe in what God's doing through his church here. And so if we would do that, I believe God would honor that. So uh, that's coming up March the 10th. I would encourage you to put that on your prayer list and begin preparing now for how you can give and be a part of that as well. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter five this morning. Uh, again, we're continuing our series entitled Launch Out. Uh, Luke chapter five, starting in verse number one. And it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. We entered into one of the ships, which was Simon, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And they had, done, had, they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. They beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which had been taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. The title of today's message launching out is Surrender. How many of you would say uh, in your lifetime that you've moved more than two or three times? Raise your hand if you've moved two or more than two or three times. How many of you say I've probably moved more than half a dozen times in my life? I've moved more than a dozen times in my life. I've moved more than 18 times in my life. I've moved more probably than two dozen times in my life. Man, you folks get around, right? I don't know about you, but I hate moving. Capital H, hate moving. Uh, just the whole part of it, the boxes, the, the putting everything together and putting stuff in boxes and you never find the boxes. And you start off with, a, when you start off moving, you start off with a really good plan, right? I'm gonna number each box. I'm gonna have a clipboard that I have numbers of the boxes and what goes in every box. So that when it comes time to find the toaster, I know it's on the bottom of box number 12, right? That's the whole idea when you start, but it always gets messed up somewhere along the way. And I don't know about you, but for me, I'm the type of guy that let's just throw everything in a big box, the biggest box we can get, and we'll sort it all out when we get there, right? My wife, on the other hand, thinks this is a great time to purge. We should go through every single thing that we own to our name and find out whether or not this would actually, we'll take this with us or whether we'll leave it. And so we end up sometimes throwing away more stuff than we end up packing, honestly. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I hate moving. Oh man, nothing like it in the world. But oftentimes when we move, we either move out of necessity or we move because we think what's on the other side is gonna be better for us than where we are currently. I think most of us, when we, we move, uh, things are like that. I know uh, when we were in the military, we didn't have a lot of choice. We were just gonna go, but we were hoping that things would be better on the other side for us and for our family than what we had uh, currently. In this case that we see this morning here, Peter is moving, you could say. But he's not moving because he thinks what's on the other side is better because he doesn't know what's on the other side. 
but he knows this. Doesn't know where he's going, doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know if it's better or worse than his current situation, but here's what he does know. He knows the person that he's going with is better than anything that he has. When we look at launching out by faith, when we look at walking with Jesus, we oftentimes want to know what the destination is. Hey, where does this whole thing wind up? Show me the end of the road. Show me where this whole thing is going, and then I'll decide if I want to get on board or not. Oftentimes, we look at um, following Jesus or maybe God's will or God's plan for our life as a destination that we're trying to get to. Hey, God, show me the destination, and then I'll make my own way there. I don't know about you, but sometimes my GPS frustrates me because it tries to send me places that I know is not a good route for me, right? Oh, you need to turn down here. I don't want to turn down there, you know? Sometimes I'm taking my kids to school in the middle of Lonnie in the morning, uh, and so I'm going down uh, H1, and traffic's backed up, and it tells me to take the Waimalu exit. It's just like, why am I going to drive through Waimalu? It's a parking lot down there. So I'm supposed to get off on Waimalu and turn left on Cam Highway and sit on Cam Highway to go through the Waipahu exit to get to Mililani. No way, no way, no how, not going to take that turn. I know what's best for me. Sometimes we think of God's plan for our life as that way. God, show me the destination and I'll figure out how to get there. I know what's best for me. I know the turns I need to take. I know the path that I need to go. I know how to get from point A to point B. Just tell me what point B is. Let me help you with something this morning. God doesn't work that way. God works one step at a time. God says turn left and you just turn left. You don't know why you're turning left. You don't think tell left might be a good turn, but he says to do it anyways and you just follow it. Peter in this case here was given no destination. He was giving very little details. Hey, Follow me because we're going to go catch some men. I don't know if, if Peter thought he was going to be like Dog the Bounty Hunter and go catch men or something like that. I don't know what he thought in his mind catching men looked like. Do I need to bring my fishing gear? Do I need to bring nets for catching men? What does that even mean? He didn't know, but he just knew this. I want to follow Jesus, and I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to follow by faith. As we take notes this morning, I, I encourage you to write some thoughts down this morning as we look at this passage when we launch out, we launch out by forsaking all. We grow our faith by forsaking all. What is it that would keep you from following Jesus today? What is it that would keep you from stepping out on faith today? I'm thankful that our church is full of a lot of folks that are just living by faith. There's folks in our church who have separated from military service and decided to stay in Hawaii, one of the most expensive places in the world that you could live because they believe in what God's doing through this church and what God's doing in their family. That's faith. And those folks oftentimes were willing to say, hey, I'm willing to give up a bigger house on the mainland. I'm, hey, I'm willing to give up being closer to family right now. I'm willing to give up a few things to be where Jesus wants me to be. Actually, I'm willing to give up everything to be where Jesus wants me to be. Had lunch with a, a man this week who would be very successful by the world's definition of success. And he said to me, he said, I'm really trying to find out what the next step of the journey is. And I thought, well, what does it look like for you? He says, I don't know, but I pray every single day that if I'm supposed to pack up and head to the mission field that I can go by faith. And I thought, man, I wish more Christians had that mindset. Not, hey, I'm looking for the next promotion I can get. Hey, I'm looking for the next house that I can move into. Looking for the next car that I can buy. Hey, I'm looking for the next way that I can serve God with my life. And you see, when we forsake all, we remove unhealthy attachments to this world. 
Peter dropped everything he had. He didn't go home and pack a bag. He didn't put in a two weeks notice. He didn't stop to pick up his last paycheck. He just went because Jesus said, let's go. And oftentimes you and I have unhealthy attachments to this world that would keep us from walking by faith. Well, we can't really be faithful to church right now because our kids play soccer on Sunday mornings. I would, I would challenge you to reevaluate your priorities. Well, if I work on Sundays, I can get an extra $2 an hour to work on Sunday mornings. I would challenge you to reevaluate your priorities. $2 an hour after taxes, do you know how much money that is? If you work an eight-hour shift, that's 16 extra dollars that you would make before taxes. You might be lucky if you brought home nine bucks after that. $9 is more important to you than growing in your faith and more important to you than Jesus. I'm not saying that if you have a schedule of conflict that you can't get out of, that you can't make it work. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you choose to prioritize the things of this world over God, you put yourself in a very difficult circumstance. I need to reevaluate everything in my life. That if God says, hey, pick up your stuff and follow me, what would hold me back from doing that? Is there anything that my heart is anchored to in this world that would keep me from following Jesus? For our family, when we moved here to, to Honolulu to start Huikala, uh, we had just bought a house in Southern California. We had actually been praying for seven years that God would provide a house for us. He did uh, in a miraculous way. Uh, the housing market took a major dip in Southern California. We got a, a house that was probably a $700,000 house. We got for less than $200,000. It was our first home we'd ever bought in our entire life because it was our forever house, right? we're gonna live there forever we told our kids when we moved in there you kids will bring your grandkids back here one day we'll all sit around this big table right here and have thanksgiving dinner when you have your own kids didn't last very long but i don't know 12 months later god began to work in our heart about coming here and one of the, the easiest things for us to do was pack up everything out of that house and move out and move on you know why because it couldn't hold any type of attachment to the material things of this world God says we need to go, we need to go. Being fully surrendered says I'm willing to disconnect from everything to follow Jesus. There's sometimes in, in, that I've, I've helped uh, single adults that are in unhealthy dating relationships that I've challenged them. Hey, if you really wanna walk with Jesus, you want, really want to do this Christian life thing, this dating relationship you're in is gonna take you away from that. Are you willing to separate from that? Are you willing to surrender to be where God wants you to be? I've uh, talked with folks before uh, I had a, a friend who uh, was a, uh, he drove a beer truck and he said he, I, he just didn't feel right about driving it, but it paid really good. And the other thing, it required him to work on Sundays. And so I said two things. Uh, first of all, if your conscience tells you that it's not right, you shouldn't betray your conscience and the whole, what the Holy Spirit's telling you right now about that. Secondly, you don't need to be out of church and your family doesn't need to go to church without you because you're delivering beer on Sundays. And he says, well, what should I do? I said, if I were in your position, I can't tell you what to do. If I were in your position, I would quit my job and find a new one. And he goes, well, where am I gonna work? I don't know, ask the Lord to give you a job. And he was like, well, it's not that easy. I think it is. So what did he do? He quit his job, prayed, no lie. Within 48 hours, he had another job. It was Monday through Friday, eight to five. He could even be at church on Wednesday nights after that because he chose to give up something in the short term to gain something in the long term. That's what surrender looks like for us. You see, when we are willing to surrender, we confess our complete dependence upon the Lord. It allows us to say, I don't really know how all this is gonna happen. I don't really know how all this is gonna work, but I trust, I believe, 
I thank that God is good to his word and I'm gonna put my heart where my faith is and I'm gonna believe that. Psalm 18, uh, verse number two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength and whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I love that verse there because it talks about the strength that's found in God. It talks about the fact that he is our rock, he's unchanging, he's our fortress, he's where we can hide. He delivers us, he's our deliverer, he's our God, he's our strength, he's the person in whom we can trust. He's our buckler. I love the word buckler. Uh, the word buckler is not a word that we use in our vocabulary or vernacular today. Most people look at that and think, may think of like a, a belt buckle or something that holds things together, something like that. A buckler is a shield, but it's different than a shield. There's two types of shields that they would use often in battle. One was a full-length shield that you could stand behind and crouch behind, and you could uh, get the, uh, quench the, the darts of the uh, enemy the arrows that would come your way and protect yourself behind that. The Lord is our shield for sure. But a buckler was different because a buckler was a small shield that you could wear on your forearm as you went into battle. Think of it as the Captain America shield, right? As you run through in battle, you can not only use it to fend off attacks from the enemy, you can also use it as a weapon as you move forward into battle. You see, a shield was a defense. A buckler was not only a defensive weapon, but it was also an offensive weapon. And the Lord is our buckler in times of battle. He's the horn of our salvation. He's our high tower. Man, I believe that God is able. I believe that if I step out on faith, that God will provide for me every step along the way. I believe that if I follow God in complete and total abandon and surrender, that he will take care of me. And when we do that, we confess our dependence upon the Lord. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, I live by faith. I want to live by faith. Let me ask you how that looks like in your life. What does it look like for you to live by faith? Is there anything in, your li in the last seven days that you really just needed God to come through for you? Is there an area of your life where you say, hey, if God doesn't come through on this situation that I got, I'm toast. That's what living by faith looks like. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when we put ourselves in situations where God must come through for us, whether it's sharing our faith with a neighbor, sharing our faith with a coworker, uh, whether it's uh, beginning to tithe, whether it's faithful church attendance, whether it's rearranging our schedule so that we can be a part of a connect group on Wednesday night, but maybe some of you uh, need to be, go through discipleship and be taught the Bible, but you're just nervous and you're scared. Hey, how about faith says, I believe that God's word is good. I believe that if I step out on faith and desire to know God's word, he's gonna meet my faith with his provision. I believe that would be the case. Next, when we forsake all, we place a value on eternal things. By saying that I believe God, that I'm willing to disconnect from the things that my heart holds dear to pursue after God. I say I'm willing to do that I really prioritize the things of God as opposed to the things of this world. And I'm no longer concerned about how comfortable I am. I'm more concerned about how useful I am to Christ. I'm less concerned with what people think about me. I'm more concerned with what God thinks about me. I'm less concerned with how much I know of pop culture and what's going on. I'm more concerned with what I know about the Bible, what's going on with that. I'm less concerned with the uh, current trends in our world today and more concerned with how I can use the Bible to meet people's needs that I know. It changes our perspective on everything. 
And when I'm willing to walk away from the things of this world to pursue Christ, it shows that I, I value eternal things. Peter, in this case, probably had pulled in the biggest haul of his life in the shortest period of time, no doubt about it. There's probably another, never another time in Peter's fishing career that he dropped his net one time and it broke because there were so many fish in it. There was probably never time in his entire fishing career where he put so many fish in his boat that it began to sink and he had to ask for help to come over with another ship to get the fish. And then they loaded up fish on that boat and that boat sank. Probably never happened before and probably never happened again after that. I've heard people talk about the fishing trips before. It's like, oh, man, fishing was so easy. The fish were practically jumping in the boat. These, these fish were jumping in the net. And Peter had seen nothing like it in his life. And after they were done, after they almost sunk their ships out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they finally got them back to land. And what do you think Peter did? I don't know about you, but I would want a fish count, Right? Can somebody just give me a quick count? I'm gonna go with Jesus in a minute, but if somebody could just give me a quick count, let me know what we hauled in, that would be great, you know? Hey, I'm gonna go with Jesus, and you're gonna do the cleaning of the fish, so we could probably work out maybe a 60-40 split. It's not a 50-50, because I'm not around to clean them, but I'll take 40% of this split. Let me know how much that is. Hey, let's weigh all these before we go. Hey, something like that. Maybe I'm gonna put somebody in charge of, of my uh, career, my shipping, my, my fishing vessel that I have here. No, you know what he did? The Bible says that he just left. If you take a look at verse number uh, 10 in our passage again, actually verse number 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Everything. You see, when Jesus finds them, they're washing their nets. They're getting ready to go home for the day. They're, they've already clocked out. They're cleaning everything up. They're throwing everything away. They're moving on. And when they get back to land, Peter didn't say, give me a minute. I'm gonna wash these nets. Hang on, I need to put somebody in charge of this. Hey, let's get a quick fish count. No, they just left. Why? Because they knew who they were pursuing. Peter didn't know where he was going. Didn't know where he was gonna sleep that night. Didn't know what was for lunch that day. He just knew this is Jesus and I wanna follow him. Every person must make a decision to follow Jesus, every single one of you. There must be a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For every person, you must be born again to see heaven. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. When you die, you will go to one of two places. You'll go to heaven or you'll go to hell. And you'll go to Heaven, not based on how good you are or what you've done or how religious you are, or how often you attended church. The default destination for every person is hell because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned against God. You've sinned against God. We've broken God's law. The Bible says, because of that, the wages of sin is death. Because I've sinned against God, I will die a physical death and then I'll die a spiritual death after I die and be separated from God for all of eternity. That's the penalty of my sin. But God loves you too much to allow you to die in your sin. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in your place. You see, you were supposed to die. You were supposed to go to hell, but Jesus died in your place so that you can be forgiven. So that the penalty, the price, the debt that you owe could be paid by what Jesus has done for you. So really you have two options when you die. 
You can either pay your own way. And if you pay your way, you'll be separated from God forever in eternity in a place called hell. That's the way that you can pay for your sins. Or you can allow Jesus to pay the price for you. And that's as simple as confessing to God your sin. God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I've broken your law. And I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus Christ. That's called repentance. And if you're willing today to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for your sins, and you're willing today to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you can be saved today. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can be saved from your sin. You can be forgiven for all the wrong that you've done. You can have the payment that Jesus made applied to your account and your account is stamped forgiven once and for all. You can do that today. It's just some wind, we're okay. But it was convenient that it was right at the same time I was talking about hell, right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Just saying. You have the opportunity to be saved. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, you're not 100% sure that when you die that you go to heaven, there'll be an opportunity at the end of this service for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I highly recommend that you do. The greatest peace you'll ever find in life is knowing that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. I promise you it's worth it. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14, verse number 33. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That if we're not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, Jesus says, you can't be my follower. You see, I didn't say that you can't follow Jesus if you don't give up everything. It's not the rules that I made up. Jesus himself said it. Jesus sets the rules for discipleship, not you or I. And he said, I require everything from you. Next, we grow our faith by submission. Submission is a word that we like to use. We sometimes see submission as weak. Waving the white flag is one of the weakest things we think you can do. When it comes to military action, we would never surrender, right? We'd rather die rather than surrender. Well, the Bible says surrender is a really good thing. Because when we surrender to God, we're not giving up and showing weakness. We're showing that we can't do it on our own and we need help. By surrendering to the Lord, we're saying that we believe that he is better than what we currently have, and we grow our faith by submission. You see, we have a goal, and that goal is Jesus Christ. I want to pursue Christ with my life. I want to know Jesus. I want to follow him with every fiber of my being. I want to do what he wants me to do because I know that's where the good stuff is found. And following Jesus will give you the greatest joy you've ever experienced in your entire life. I promise you that. But it requires a commitment on your part. It requires that you make a decision to follow Jesus. You see, we have a desire in our commitment to Christ. It's the glory of God. I want people to look at my life and not say, what a great guy Anthony is. I want people to look at my life and say, he's such a nice guy. I want people to look at my life and say, what a great God he serves. I want people to look at my life and go, here's a crazy thought, okay? Just stick with me for a second. God expects us to be like Jesus. Are you with me so far? That's easy. We're expected to be like Jesus. 
Because Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ is not here on this earth in bodily form right now. But he expects you and I to be like Jesus. So what that means is people should look at my life, people should look at your life and say this. Stick with me here, all right? I don't know what Jesus is like, but I imagine he's a lot like Anthony. (laughs) Yeah, I, I could never say that. I could never put my name in that blank. I just can't do it. That's what God expects of you, that you would be like Jesus. Hey, I don't know what Jesus is like, but I can imagine he's a lot like Bill. I, I don't know what Jesus is like, but I'm sure he's a lot like Sally. I don't know what Jesus is like, but I'm sure he's a lot like Tom. That's what's expected of us. Why? Not so that, that we can be seen, but those, so that God's glory can be seen through us. First Corinthians goes on to say, uh, chapter number 10, that we should do everything we do in our lives to the glory of God. If you eat a sandwich, you should eat a sandwich to the glory of God. If you drink, you should drink to the glory of God. <coughs> Bam. Whatever we do is to be done to God's glory so that people would see Christ in us. You see, submission has no personal agenda. Submission isn't looking for what it can get out of the situation. I don't know about you, but has anybody in this room ever tried to broker a deal with God before? Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that before? God, if you give me this job, I'm telling you what. I promise I'll never miss a day at church. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll pray every day. God, if you would give me this this new house, I'm telling you this, I promise that we'll always play Christian music in this house. God, if you'll give me, and we begin to broker deals with God. God, if you'll heal my kid. God, if you'll, you'll heal my mom. God, if you'll make these test results come back positively in my favor, then I'll do X. Let me tell you something. That's not submission. That's not making it. That's not surrender. That's not committing to follow Jesus at all costs. That's brokering a deal. And can I help you with something here this morning? God doesn't make deals with people. You never find that one single solitary time in the Bible where somebody says, God, I'll do this if you'll do your part. And God says, okay, great, I'll do that if you keep up your end of the bargain. Because let me let you in on a secret. You will never keep your end of the bargain. You won't. Because you can't in your own power. God, so you say, so you're saying God leaves me high and dry when I'm in a time of need? No, I'm saying that God extends his grace to you and he expects nothing in return other than our love and worship. God gives to you and does good for you because he chooses to, because he's loving, because he's merciful, because he's gracious, because he's kind, because he is love, not because you put together some deal that you think God's gonna sign your contract. It doesn't work that way. Surrender has no personal agenda. Surrender says, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you because you're worthy. Jesus, I'm gonna follow you because you've asked me to. Jesus, I'm pursuing you because I want you. Not, I'm gonna follow Jesus and hopefully my bills will get paid this month. I'm gonna follow Jesus and hopefully I won't get sick. I'm gonna follow Jesus and hopefully I won't lose my job. I'm gonna follow Jesus and hopefully I'll meet the right person and get married and live happily ever after and have 2.5 kids. We don't follow Jesus for what we can get from him. We follow him because he's worthy. 
we don't worship God for what he's done for us. We worship him because he's worthy. And submission has no personal agenda. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 37, Jesus said this, he that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Jesus says when it comes to a list of priorities, I've gotta be on the top. And if I'm not, you can't follow me. You see, Jesus was talking with a guy, and this guy says, hey, Jesus, I wanna follow you, but my dad just died. I need to go home and bury him, have a funeral and stuff like that, and then I'll come back and follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, follow me. And to some people, that looks really cold on the surface for Jesus to say, you can't go to your dad's funeral, you need to follow me instead. But Jesus was just showing this guy where his heart was at. Hey, your dad's dead and gone. I am the living God, you can choose to follow me. And I've known people before that something as simple as a family member dying has derailed their faith. Something as simple as losing their job causes them to abandon all hope in God. Something as simple as a relationship not working out the way that they thought it would causes them to turn their back on God completely. Let me just tell you this, if that's the case, you were never in it because God was worthy, you were in it for what you could get out of it. And you need to check your heart with that. And every person in this room this morning needs to ask yourself the question, why am I following God? Why am I even here? Why did you come to church this morning? Ask yourself that question. Some of you came to church just because it's a habit. Some of you came to church because you'd feel guilty if you didn't. Some of you came to church, I believe sometimes people come to church because they know if they don't, they're gonna get a postcard from me on Monday morning, you know? Or a text message saying, where were you guys at today? Hope everything's good. That's just me trying to love you and encourage you and help you. If that motivates you to come to church for a, a week or two, that's a good thing. But if, it, if that's your long-term motivation to make me happy or somebody else happy, you've missed the boat. It's funny, sometimes folks will come to our church, they'll visit once and I'll never see them again for you know, six months to a year. And then all of a sudden, I'll see them show up one Sunday morning with their parents who came in from out of town. They're like, I want to introduce you to my pastor over here. And I'm just like, what was your name again? They're like, hmm, Right. Why? They wanted to be in church because mom and dad was in town. They wanted to make them think they were going to church. Hey, look, why are you following Jesus? Is it for what you can get from him? Is it to make somebody else happy? If so, you're missing the point. Jesus wants us to completely and totally abandon everything because we believe that he's worthy. He wants our worship. He wants our heart. He wants our love. He wants our adoration because he's the best thing out there that there is. Not because he didn't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning. You see, submission understands also that we own nothing. When I submit to God, I say to him, God, everything that I have in my hands is what you have given me. Everything I have at my disposal is because of you. The Bible tells us in the book of James that every good and perfect gift cometh from above. There's nothing that we have on this earth that God did not give us. Job chapter one, verse number 21 says, and naked, uh, Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, I came into this world with nothing. I'm gonna leave this world with nothing, and anything I have in between is what God's given to me, and I'm gonna praise God for it. And submission says, if God wants to take my job to give him glory, I'll let him have it. If God wants to take my life to give him glory, I'll let him have it. That's what submission says. Submission says, I don't own anything. Peter was fully submitted. 
we see Jesus gets into Peter's boat. There's nobody in the boat, and Jesus walks up on the, I can imagine the bow of the boat, right, and crosses his arms and says, hey, Peter, could you come over here? If I was Peter, I'd be like, what do you think you're doing on my boat? We just finished fishing all night long. We're out here cleaning our nets. We're getting ready to tie things up and go home for the day. What are you doing? But I, I want to believe in my heart. I don't know this is the case because the text doesn't tell us this. But I want to believe in my heart that Peter knew that that boat really didn't belong to him. That maybe the Lord gave him that boat and the Lord, if he wants to sit down for a minute and talk out of it, he can. And when the Lord said to Peter, Peter, launch out into the deep. Peter's like, hey, we haven't caught anything all night, but I know that you're the Lord. And at your word, he did, he did say this, at your word, I'm gonna go out. And the Lord says, Peter, grab those nets and drop them into the water. I'd like to think that Peter thought to himself, hey, these nets aren't mine anyways. They're the Lord's. He told me to throw them out, I'll throw them out. And the fish that came up that were caught, why didn't Peter want to hang on to them? Probably because he knew they didn't belong to him anyways. You see, Peter had learned to loosely hold the things of this world. He had learned not to hold on too tightly to the things that he thought were super duper important because it didn't really belong to him anyways. So that when Jesus says, leave what you've got behind and follow me, Peter forsook all. I'd like to think because he believed that it didn't belong to him anyways. And if Peter can give up everything to follow Jesus, I believe you and I are, should be willing to sacrifice something to follow Jesus. I believe we should be willing to give up whatever the Lord asks of us to follow him. Anything. Because he's worthy. We continue to grow our faith through discipleship. <coughs> discipleship is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus. A disciple could be defined as a committed follower of Jesus. Discipleship is just learning how to be a committed follower of Jesus. Discipleship is the process that we go through to learn about Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to be shaped into the image of Jesus. The day that you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, you were saved, you were born again, you were adopted into the family of God, you became a child of God that day. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. You were born again one time, just as you're born physically one time, you're born again one time, that's it. So salvation takes place in an instant, in a moment, but discipleship, learning to be a committed follower of Jesus, that's a lifetime process. I'm still working on it. I hope you're still working on it. Some people haven't even started to work on it. I would encourage you to begin that process because all of us need to be discipled. You see, we learn daily how to follow Jesus. I hope you have a habit of being in God's word every single day. If you don't, you should start one. Read something out of the Bible every day. Uh, if you want a really, really easy way to start the day, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters in it, which means there's one for every single day of the month. Today is February the 10th. You can read Proverbs 10 today. Tomorrow's the 11th. Wake up and read Proverbs 11. It's a book of wisdom. It'll help you. If you want to take it to the next level, start reading through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story of Jesus and who he is. You want to get really deep 
Read through the book of Romans. You'll understand probably about 10% of what you read, but it'll be really, really good. And the more that you read it, the more you'll understand. You want to be encouraged? Are you going through a rough spot in life? Read through the book of Psalms. The Psalms is a book of great encouragement. If you read five Psalms every single day, you can read the entire book of Psalms in a month, 150 Psalms. The idea is not what you would read, it's that you would read something from God's word to help you to learn about Jesus because from cover to cover, the Bible is the story of Jesus Christ. And I wanna know him more and the only way that I can know him more is to spend more time with him. The only way I can spend more time with him is to be in the word on a daily basis. Luke chapter nine, verse number 23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, we submit to learning of Jesus. I love it. I got a message from uh, a woman this week who said, I want to teach my kids about the Bible and I don't know a lot. Where should I start? Oh, man. Things like that just make my week. I don't really know a lot about the Bible, but I want to teach my kids how, where do I start? How do I learn? That's somebody who has a desire to learn. Oftentimes, people can be embarrassed oh, my kids know more about the Bible than I do. Hey, don't be embarrassed by that. Be encouraged by that. But it's time to get a little bit further ahead. Sometimes uh, the, the wife knows more than the husband. The husband's like, oh, and I don't really know the Bible. My wife grew up in church. I didn't. Hey, this is your opportunity to get out in, ahead of it and begin to learn, to begin to grow in your discipleship and your knowledge of Jesus every single day, knowing more about Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus says, I want you to learn more about me. You see, we mature our faith and grow our faith by recovering from failure, by overcoming failure. You and I have the luxury of being able to read the end of Peter's story. Peter didn't know what the end of his story would be. Peter, in this case here, says, hey, I'm willing to follow Jesus. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to exhibit great faith. We find later that Peter was able to walk on water because he had faith that no one else had. We find that Peter was able to sit at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ as the Spirit of God, and God came down and talked with Jesus Christ himself. It was only three guys that were allowed up there, and he was allowed to see that and experience things that nobody else saw. But Peter also was the guy who at the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter goes, uh-uh-uh-uh, wrong guy. Lord, you know me. I wouldn't deny you. I wouldn't deny you once, but it's less three times. Jesus says, hold your tongue, Peter. Now, am I, stop for just a second. I don't believe that the apostles fully grasped what was taking place in that moment. I don't think they realized who they were sitting across the table from at that very moment. Because even up until the point of Christ's crucifixion, they were asking the question, hey, when are you gonna like take over the Roman government, kick them out and sit on the throne and rule everything? They didn't fully grasp it. <laughs> but this just goes to show how Peter really didn't grasp it. The Lord says, you're gonna deny me three times. And he told God himself in the flesh, you don't know what you're talking about. What? He's God. He just told you what's going to happen. You're wrong. Not going to happen. No way, no how. And what happened? He denied three times. And he went and cried for a while. And while Christ was hanging on the cross, John was there with, with Jesus' mom. 
trying to console her and help her. Where's Peter? Peter's out crying somewhere. And man, Christ is, is resurrected. And what does Peter decide he wants to do? Go back fishing. He's done with this whole apostle thing. He goes back fishing and the Lord comes to him, makes breakfast for everybody. They sit down and he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Great, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times, you love me. And Peter began to get grieved in his heart. Of course I love you, Lord. Do what I've told you to do. Go out and get it done. And what happened? It would have been very easy for Peter to say, I'm a loser. I'll never be used of God. Nothing good's ever gonna come from my life. I've blown it. I've messed up. God's done with me. I had an opportunity to stand for Christ in his greatest time of need, and I ruined it. I failed. But you know what Peter did? Peter said, okay, Fast forward to Acts chapter two. Peter gives one of the most spirit-filled messages that we find in all of the Bible about uh, Christ and what's taking place. He shares the gospel with a group of people. And he says to them, Christ whom you crucified. It's your fault. You did this. And the Bible says these people were smitten in their hearts. And they said, we're sorry. What are we supposed to do? He says, repent of your sins. And 3,000 people repented and got saved and baptized in one day. And the church began to explode in Jerusalem because of one person's message. Who was it that God used to do that? Peter. And again, I might be reading into the Bible here, but I would like to think that God chose Peter to give that message on that day because Peter was one of the first people to follow Jesus and he exhibited that faith and God knew that that faith was in him. It just needed to be brought back out again. And look, if you're here today and you failed, join the club. If you had a golden opportunity that was all teed up for you and ready to go and you blew it, congratulations, because I have too. If you've tried really hard to walk with Jesus and you've blown it, congratulations, you're in a room full of people who've done the exact same thing. But I hope you're here today because you're not content with that failure. I'm not content with my failure. I believe, based on God's word and the promises of it, that we can overcome that failure and use it as a greater opportunity to strengthen our faith. As we look at how to apply today's message of surrender and submission and discipleship, a few thoughts I want to give you. First of all, write out your life plans in pencil. Allow God to make changes wherever it needs to be done. Every Monday morning, I, I, I have my weekly plan that I put together. I sit down and write out all my appointments for the week on a calendar. I write out my to-do list, all that other stuff. I always write out my calendar in pencil because things always come up, always come up. The first week that I, that I tried it, I love to write in pen. I'm a pen guy. And so I liked it. It was beautiful. I'd written in some of my best handwriting. I'd written it in pen. And what happened was one of my kids got sick and I had to go pick him up at school and it threw everything off. And here's my beautiful calendar that was written in beautiful handwriting and pen, got all messed up, and I was so mad about it. And so from then on, I started writing it in pencil. You know, it doesn't bother me when changes come because I know they're gonna come. Somebody calls and says, hey, pastor, I really need to meet with you. Well, I had lunch planned that day, but I'll just scratch lunch and you can come and we'll have lunch together. Hey, pastor, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital. Can you go pray with him? Yeah, sure, I had a, an hour study blocked off, but I'll scratch that. I'll, I'll put, move an hour of study somewhere else and I'll go make that appointment. No problem. 
you and I many times want to set our life plans in stone. Oh, all I want is this house. All I want is this job. All I want to do is move to, you know, this place. I want to move to Montana and buy a little cabin there so I can go elk hunting every winter. That's my life plan. That's great. If you want to shoot towards that, just write it in pencil. That way if it doesn't work out that you're not disappointed. That if God says he wants you to go somewhere else, you're willing to go. Allow God to make the changes that he needs to in your life. It's not a bad thing to have a plan. Everybody should have a plan. But to set your plans in stone and not allow God the opportunity to change them is foolish. Next, when confronted with biblical truth, determine in advance to obey it. Probably the most powerful decision that Angela and I ever made in our entire marriage, ever, ever. I'm telling you this, this is huge. We made a decision one night We've been married for probably, I don't know, maybe 18 months. We made a decision. If God ever tells us to do something, we're just going to do it. That's it. We, we prayed about it that night and everything. God, if you ever tell us to do something, we're just going to do it. Even if we don't agree with it, even if we don't know how it's going to work out, if we know beyond a shadow of doubt you're telling us to do it, we're just going to do it. I'm telling you this, that revolutionized, revolutionized our Christian life, it revolutionized our marriage who we call us here today because we made a decision 18 years ago to follow God even when it didn't make sense. And let me just tell you, what we're a part of today doesn't make sense on paper, but God's doing it and we're able to be a part of it. And when God confronts you with the biblical truth, just decide I'm gonna obey it even if I don't understand it. Whether it's my need for discipleship, my need to share my faith, um, my need to be faithful in my church attendance, my need to uh, faithfully give and tithe the way that God's word commands it to, the way that I, I raise my children, uh, time that I pray with my children, how I teach children, my children in the Bible. Whatever it comes up to, I'm just gonna obey it, whatever God tells me to do. Next, commit to a lifetime of discipleship. Keep growing. I'm reading a book right now that uh, talks about how to study the Bible better. You say, well, you're a pastor. Hey, I've been a pastor for, man, almost uh, five and a half years now. I went to four-year Bible college. I've served in full-time vocational ministry for 16 plus years at this point. I still want to learn to read the Bible better. I want to get more out of the Bible than I have in the past. You know why? Because I want to continue to grow. If at any point in your Christian life you say, I think I've made it. I think I'm good. I've been walking with Jesus for 10 years. I think I'm okay. You're not okay. Let me just help you with that. You always need to grow. And so commit to a lifetime of discipleship. <clears throat> Final thought, live a life fully surrendered, ready to launch out at a moment's notice. If Jesus said today, drop what you're doing and follow me, would you be ready to do that? Or would you say, my dad's really sick and whenever he passes and we bury him, then I'll, then I'll follow you, Jesus. Hey, work's really hectic right now. I'm willing to follow you, but uh, just wait till things die down at work a little bit and things will be all right. Jesus says, hey, follow me. I would, but we're like, in, we're like moving right now and I'm trying to find a place to live and things are kind of crazy and we're living out of boxes and suitcases right now. And when all that settles down, then I'll follow you. 
follow me. I would, but I just got a promotion at work and it's a really, really good promotion. I'm setting myself up for like the next 10 years and I don't know that I could like do both. Okay. Jesus says, Peter, follow me and we're gonna catch some men. And they forsook all and followed him. There's power there, I'm telling you, power. I'd like to believe that in this room, there are folks that if God told you today that he wanted you to drop everything and go to the mission field, that you would go. I want to believe that. I think, I want, here's, here's what I really want to say. I believe that most people in this room, most, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, like God sent you a letter in the mail that was like notarized by uh, you know, Michael the archangel or something, right? Like you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wanted you to go to an orphanage in China or go to start a church in Thailand or something like that. You knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was God's plan for your life, that you'd probably try to figure out some way to do that. I think most people in this room said, if I was 100% certain and I knew that God would provide it, I would probably give it a shot maybe, right? I think most of us would say something like that, at least in theory, right? But how about this? I know God's told you that there's a person that you work with that doesn't know Jesus that needs to know him. Are you willing to launch out that direction? I know there's a neighbor that you have that doesn't know Jesus that you could just maybe take a plate of cookies to and an invitation to church. Are you willing to launch out that direction? You see, I find the funny thing is sometimes people talk all this mean talk about like, oh, I'd love to be a missionary to Indonesia. How about you be a missionary to like, you know, your street. Well, no, I, I feel called to, you know, the jungles of Africa. How about you get called to, like, Manoa? Well, no, no one of these days I'm going to serve God. Hey, one of these days might never come, but today is a day that you can serve. Today is an opportunity that you have. People you're going to see this week need to know Jesus. Are you willing to launch out their direction, or are you just going to stay where you're at until maybe one day you can? Hey, surrender says, hey, whatever I'm supposed to do, I'm gonna do it. I believe that God is good to his word. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, do not leave here until you know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Friend, you cannot launch out into the deep. You can't even get off the beach to launch out with Jesus until your sins are forgiven and you know for sure that heaven's your home. Otherwise, you're in opposition to God. You're not a child of God. You're an enemy of God. And you must know for sure that you're saved. But friend, if you're here today and you say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. If I die today, I'm 100% sure that heaven's my home. I am a child of God. Friend, God is calling you to live by faith this week. Is there anything in your life that's keeping you back from living that life of faith? Something you're, not, you're afraid to surrender? Something you're afraid to submit some area you're not willing to grow, I'd encourage you to give that up to the Lord today and follow him because when we launch out with Jesus and we follow him after we've forsaken all, that's where we'll find the greatest joy that this life has to offer.